I have been away from full-time ministry for a little over two years, and on my last Sunday at Calvary Baptist Church in uh, Vandenberg Village, uh, we had a wonderful farewell time and a lot of sweet fellowship and lots of sharing memories of the decade plus that I was a senior pastor there at Calvary. And Tuesday came, and I put my wife on a plane because we have two kids, a daughter and a son, and between the two of them and their spouses, we have nine grandkids. So my wife has frequently been with either our daughter and their two kids or our son and their seven kids. So she's with the two, our daughter and son-in-law up in Washington right now, enjoying them and they're enjoying her. But back to that, that last Sunday, which happened also to be her birthday, May 26th that year. And on Tuesday, I put her on a plane to to go to Colorado, in this case, to be with our son and daughter-in-law. And we had, over several months before that, talked about, well, where will we go to church once I'm, you know, through at Calvary? And we would say, well, what about such and such? Um, I'm not sure, maybe, maybe not. And over those several months, we had never decided. So now it's Tuesday. I'm in my first week after leaving the last Sunday that I taught there and ministered at Calvary as a senior pastor. And I, I thought, oh, whoa, this coming Sunday's coming, and I don't know where I'm going to go to church. <laughs> so two or three more days went by, and I was driving around Lompoc, and suddenly it just floated into my head, Grace, up in Santa Maria. Now, there was some background that I think prompted that, because I had been coming here with other uh, converged pastors in what we call the Coastal League Team meetings. And every two to three months, a group of us pastors on the West Coast from uh, converged churches would meet, usually here at Grace, in, in the offices over there. But I'd never been to a worship service here. And that, that, I had been coming here for almost 10 years, and, but had never been here on a Sunday. So that week, my wife's gone. First Sunday that I'm not going to be showing up at my former church, I drove up here. And I was just so nourished and have continued to be nourished by the music and Pastor Benji's fabulous teaching and the sweet fellowship as I've begun to get to know people and as, as we, we do when my wife is here with me. So one last little tidbit about this, which I find so intriguing. When Calvary finally got their new pastor, so last June, the first Sunday of June, they installed the new pastor a neat young man, and I'd spent, I had spent some time with him. And Pastor Dwayne Johnson was emceeing the service. That might be a name familiar with you guys, right? <laughs> and afterwards, and the congregation was packed, and afterwards I was walking up the center aisle, and Pastor Dwayne was coming in from the lobby. He'd already gone out and was coming back in. And he was talking to one of the Calvary men, and he stopped right mid-sentence when I came up, and he said, he said to this man, so you know who this is, right? And he said, well, yeah, that's our former pastor, Paul Gaylor. And Dwayne said, so do you realize where he goes to church? He's going to church where I used to pastor, and I'm going to church where he used to pastor. So, yeah, fun, fun kind of things. So here's the title of this sermon today. I thought, pastor Benji, when he sent me a text, asked if I could preach. 
he said, hey, maybe you can preach a psalm or something. And right away I thought, oh, I love the psalms. And Psalm 87 came to mind. And here's the title. Humanity's utopian dream finally comes true. Ever since the Garden of Eden, human beings have longed to return to paradise. And over millennia of human history, there have been many experiments, all ending in failure, to try to create paradise, heaven on earth. And for people to get along and love one another and be one big happy family. And of course, it's never happened. In fact, quite the opposite has happened. But utopian dreams, we've had utopian dreams all of our human history. And of course, there have been some novels written that are called dystopian because they describe an authoritarian attempt to make everybody conform to what a small group of people decide is best for them. So Brave New World, 1984, I'm I'm sure many of you have read those or others. So we have this desire, this aching desire to have peace with each other and in our own hearts and minds and souls and with our community and and for the whole planet. But of course, turbulence and chaos and pain is what we see so constantly. So some preliminary things before we dive into the three sections of Psalm 87. And if you want to have that available on your phone, or if you have a Bible with you, turn to Psalm 87. But um, consider the plight of of an alien or a refugee. So again, I mentioned two kids. So our son is a colonel in the army. He's a um, commander of a battalion, a reserve battalion. And he was, his battalion, or not the whole thousand soldiers, but several hundred of them were tasked by the Department of Defense to go to Fort Pickett in Maryland and help in process the Afghanis who were being evacuated out of Afghanistan after our pullout. And um, there were thousands of them. In fact, at one time there were 10,000 at Fort Pickett, a small army post. And Mark and his uh, fellow soldiers above him and his peers and below him were also helped by uh, church, local churches, and by Samaritan's Purse, and some other organizations, and M- Maria, with the seven kids, ages 14 down to three, they, they live in West Virginia, but uh, Fort Pickett is in the D.C. area, so Maria and the seven kids came to Fort Pickett, and the Army provided them a small house, so the whole family was there at Fort Pickett, working with 10,000-plus Afghanis. And, of course, they told us lots of stories. Many of them had to be offline. They couldn't make public or show pictures. But the plight of an alien, here they are. They have been uprooted from their home country. Many of them have lost loved ones. There were orphans. who Both parents were gone. They didn't speak English, so they're in a foreign country. They came with just the clothes on their backs, basically. And they're completely displaced. So just imagine how painful that must be and how difficult to to go through all that and to readjust. So we have a longing to be secure and to be in a familiar routine and with people that we know and love and with peace and security. We long for that. We need that as human beings. And again, today's chaotic scenes are, are catastrophic human tragedies. Every continent, virtually, there is some sort of upheaval going on. 
Another thing to think about is there is an ultimate citizenship in a forever family. And there's only one person who can admit you to that forever family, and that's God himself. It's his forever family, and he's the only one that could admit us to that family. The Apostle Paul, you'll recall, in Ephesians chapter 2, and this is another thing I'm getting used to. I, I had lens implants several months ago, and I, I, have, I can see through walls. I'm, I kid you not. My vision is the clearest it's been in decades. But the problem is I can't read with these lenses. They're just for distance. So I'm, have, I'm having to get used to glasses. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. It's pretty dreadful to be a non-citizen of the forever family. Paul says you were without hope. But of course, he goes on to say, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The thing that's so amazing about this psalm, Psalm 87, is it's in the context of Israel's history of being exclusive. They were the chosen ones. They were God's people. And you had to become a Jew in order to be part of their family, as it were. They were, and as you know, even when Christ was here, he frequently ministered to Gentiles. And, and it was scandalous to, to the Jewish leaders and to the Jewish people. So they had this mindset of, you are excluded if you're not one of us. And you can't come in. You can't be here and be part of us. And Paul says it's so dramatic that you were without hope. You were, you were just in despair. So now here is Psalm 87. It's a compact cryptic oracle with astonishing implications. And I'd, I'd like to read Psalm 87 right now. It's just a, a short psalm, seven verses. There's a heading of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. And now God himself speaks in verse 4. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush, the upper Nile region. And I will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. It's cryptic and it's puzzling because it's coming from the nation that says, if you're not one of us, you're excluded. And yet you heard the names of these other countries that were not Jewish, they were Gentile. And God himself says, I'll write, this one was born in Zion. So the three sections of this psalm, to kind of organize our thoughts, the first section is the first three verses. 
reveals God's sovereign choice of Jerusalem as his special city. Notice how he says he has founded his city on the holy mountain. It's a fortress, as it were. And right away it suggests a secure location that's defensible. So if you're in the city, you're, you're in a fortress and you're secure, you're safe. Think about our cities in our country today. So many of our big cities and the chaos going on and the rise in crime and the, the innocents who are dying, over 800 in Chicago last year. But this city that God founded is a fortress on a mountain. And you're secure if you're in this city on the holy mountain. And then the next thing which I find so amazing, I've, I've puzzled over this for years. God himself loves this city. And by the way, this is the real Jerusalem. You know, over in the Middle East right now, can you kind of picture the map of the Middle East? And you can see that tiny little sliver of country called Israel and Jerusalem. It's really the center of the earth for all practical purposes. And it's interesting that God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, loves an actual literal city on this planet. He loves this city. The Lord loves the gates of Zion, it says. Back in Psalm 78, this beautiful psalm about Israel and her history. But he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant, etc. So God loves this city. He loves the city of Jerusalem. And he, has, he had plans for it, and he still does have plans for the city of Jerusalem. Jesus talked a lot about what was going to happen in Jerusalem in the future. And that's still yet to come. So the city is firmly founded in a fortress setting. God himself loves the city, and it's the resplendent city of God. Notice it says, glorious things are said of you, city of God. The, the idea in the Hebrew here is there's dazzling, radiant light emanating from this city. It's just beautiful. Even from a long distance away, there's something about it that's just dazzling and beautiful and stellar. So that's the first section. Now, in the second section, verses 4 through 6, the second section unveils an astonishing promise of universal citizenship. Now, again, remember how unusual this is. This is in the middle of Old Testament history, the Jewish people who were exclusive, and you had to become a Jew in order to be a part of their nation. And Gentiles were, were despised. There was hostility. And again, Paul writes about that in several places in, in his letters. He writes about the hostility there was between Jew and Gentile. Think about Peter, his ministry. I just read through the book of Acts, just finished it a few days ago. And I, I always love it when Peter, uh, he, he's, he's getting hungry. It's the middle of the day. Remember the vision? Sheets let down. It's got these unclean, you know, the mix of clean and unclean animals. And the voice says to him, arise, Peter, kill and eat. And he is just, what? I've never eaten anything unclean. Are you kidding me? Well, he probably didn't say that. But he, he just said, oh, no, 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 I, I can't. Well, how many times did that happen? Three times. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And, and then knock, knock, knock at his door. 
And it's some servants of a centurion named Cornelius. And the, the servants have come at, at Cornelius' orders because Cornelius was visited by an angel who said, go find a guy named Peter. He's got some good things to tell you. Now, remember, Cornelius is a Gentile. Peter's a Jew. And Peter goes. He, he, he finally realizes, I guess God is saying, no, there's not clean and unclean anymore. Don't call unclean what I am calling clean. So you know the rest of the story. He goes, Cornelius and his whole family are converted. And then what happens to Peter? His fellow Jewish brothers and sisters say, Peter, you went and into a Gentile home and ate with them? Whoa, that's verboten. And he says, no, uh-uh. And he explains the whole story of the vision and Cornelius' visit by an angel. And he says, so I conclude that, and, and, and the Holy Spirit, by the way, fell on them just as he did on us at Pentecost. So I've concluded that God isn't discriminating anymore. They're, they're part of us now. So it was an amazing moment in the early church's first few years of life. So this, this promise of universal citizenship to come from a psalm is so unusual. But notice several things now in this section, verses 4 through 6. Even some of Israel's most dreaded enemies will become citizens. I find it so fascinating. God himself is speaking now. He says in verse 4, I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too entire along with Cush. And we'll say this one was born in Zion. Rahab. Who is Rahab? Well, Rahab in, medieval, in uh, Middle Eastern history and culture and mythology was a great ravenous beast. Was vicious and mean and dangerous. And Rahab stood for the nation of Egypt in their power. And they were the dominant for many, many years. And rapacious in whom they conquered. And yet, and of course they had abused Israel. And yet, they're the first ones named, Rahab. I will record Rahab. And Babylon, think about Babylon. The Babylonian captivity, the seven years at Israel. The, the city was destroyed, the city of Jerusalem, and many were killed and many were taken as exiles to Babylon. And, and yet, God says, I'll record Babylon. And then the Philistines, they were a constant thorn in the side of Israel in her history. And Tyre. And Cush, the, the Nile region again. And yet God says, I will say this one was born in Zion. So even some of Israel's most dreaded enemies, God is saying, they're going to be part of this family I'm going to build. This forever family. And of course, it was unthinkable for the Jews. And yet here it is in their Psalms. This cryptic oracle of a universal family is coming. And the Most High God himself will do the gracious rock-solid work. Notice it says, he will say, this one was born. And then in verse 5, this one was born, and that one was born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Most High himself. That's... The, the, the name of God that speaks of his utter sovereign power and omnipotence and ability to do whatever he wills and chooses to do. 
He is the one that's going to build this forever family. And so intriguing to me, he will inscribe the names of his redeemed ones and think about who they are, these Gentiles, many who were enemies or from nations that were enemies of Israel, they're going to be redeemed and brought into the family. And God himself is going to write their names in his book. And then the last section is just one verse, verse 7. And it says, as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. You know, one of the things I have told Chet on a number of occasions, actually many occasions, uh, is how inspired I, I am and how nourished by the worship and the music the words to the songs. And here today, every single song was saying something to my heart, and a lot of it connected to this psalm, although he didn't know I was going to preach Psalm 87, and I didn't know that they would choose these songs that we sang. Did you pick up singing things, singing songs about the desert and down this desert road? And Jesus, and when he read the call to worship, Jesus says, he who comes to me will not hunger, he who believes in me will not thirst. Music has been a part of Israel's history and the church's history for thousands of years. And God was the one who originally created music. By the way, if you, if you, when you first turn to Psalm 87, I don't know if you noticed, but it says it's of the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah were poet warriors. What a strange combination. They were artists and they were brave, fierce warriors. So the sons of Korah, one of the sons of Korah wrote this psalm. And a psalm is, is a, it refers to the instrument of a lyre or a harp that accompanies the words. That's what a psalm is. And then a song speaks more of the lyrics. It's, it's putting into, wor into words set to music, the theme that you want to celebrate. And as they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. The, the, think about the Middle East, and again, think about the insecurity. Your city could be overrun by warriors, and you had to be protected, so you, you really wanted a high place and impregnable if you could, and that's what Jerusalem was originally. And you needed one other thing desperately. You needed water. The Middle East is arid. So they will make music and sing in their fortified city, secure. All my fountains are in you. This is where I drink and slake my thirst. And again, I'm reminded of Jesus' own teaching. John chapter 7. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of water, living water, will flow out from within them. By this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He himself is our fountain of life, isn't he? That's the other thing. So security, life-giving water, and ultimately the conquest of death is what's promised us as part of God's forever family. Security, life, and the conquest of death. 
one of my favorite passages that refers to the coming future glorious day when death is going to be removed. Isaiah chapter 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty would, will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken swallowing up death forever and wiping away tears. Our, our earthly lives are so painful sometimes and fraught with tears. But someday all that's going to be gone in his forever family. We're going we're to see our loved ones again who are in Christ and share his resurrection life over death. We'll be reunited. I think of my dad and mom often how I just ache sometimes to see them. They've been gone quite a few years now. And then some other loved ones and some close friends that we've lost. But there's this incredible hope that we have as believers that we're part of a forever family and we're going to be reunited again. And the tears, whoops, the tears are going to be wiped away. And now I just completely fouled up my microphone here. I'm getting jury. Are we good there? Okay. So it's, it's something we can so look forward to and so rejoice in, that God is providing us with this forever family. And, of course, he ultimately himself is the fountain of life. And he sent his son to transmit that life to us, that living water that our spirits desperately need. And if we drink that living water, we will live forever because we'll be in Christ and share his victory over death. So we have incredible hope. And here is this cryptic oracle, Psalm 87, that says there's coming a day when that utopian longing you have as human beings to be included, to feel secure, to enjoy one another's company, to feast and rejoice, that that day is coming because I'm going to do it. And I personally am going to write your name when you believe in my son in my book. It's not just a horde of people en masse are going to be in the kingdom. It's you and you and you and I individually. He knows us by name. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so grateful for this amazing psalm and, and all your word, Lord. Uh, when Chet prayed that... I would again enjoy opening your word. I so enjoy opening your word. It's such a feast every time, and I thank you for the privilege of doing that. I do want to pray for Pastor Benji and others that were mentioned that are ill, that you'd lay your healing hand upon them, Lord, and help us to be filled with hope, even in a time of such destructiveness and danger and sadness and disruption, but help us to have our thoughts and our hearts fixed on things above and looking forward to being reunited with those we love that we've lost and help us to share the good news that of the hope that we have with others who don't have that hope fill us with your spirit and with the joy that he can bring thank you father in the precious 
splendid name of your son, Jesus.